Hello Northwest, hope you're doing well and hope you had a great weekend. What I'd love for you guys to do this week is uh, to take a picture of you worshiping together in your house. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, however you're watching, just at the end of the message today, at the end of the lesson, just take a selfie of your family gathering together and please go ahead and post that on Slack, specifically our church uh, family thread. Um, be a great way for us to scroll through as a family, see all these pictures of our family worshiping together. So we'd love for you to do that. hope you can do that um, uh, after the message uh, today. So uh, do that for us. Uh, you've heard the statement before. You've heard this. You've probably said this. It's sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What do we learn about that statement? I think really what we learn about that statement is it's a lie. That's what we learned about the statement, if I could be so bold. Words hurt. And James is incredibly aware of that. He's incredibly aware of the danger of the tongue. That's why in chapter 3, verse 1, he addresses the issue of taming the tongue. And that's why he also finishes this section about using our speech for godly ways, not for worldly ways. And, and so he sort of like begins... With taming the tongue, he talks about the tongue uh, being able to, being small, but being able to guide. He uses an illustration of the bit in a horse's mouth. He uses the rudder on a ship. He uses the illustration of a small fire that when it's let loose in, in un, ungodly ways, it just can do great damage. And so we know the power of the tongue. And that's the way we begin several weeks ago uh, in chapter 3. Now we get to chapter 4, and we're getting ready to finish the last two verses it sort of summarizes this section, and it's bookended by the way that we speak to each other, and the way in the words that we use, and how we talk. And so, before we really get into James chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, I believe what's critical to understanding this section is verse 10. I think it's, it's so important for us really to see verse 10 of chapter 4, because I really think that 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 really sets the stage for us. He concludes this section, Adam included 1 through 10 last week, and he says this, it says, in verse 10, it says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Earlier, he says, submit yourself to the Lord, submit to the Lord. Okay, so here's what we have to learn right now. We learn that when we are humble before the Lord, we are making a declaration that God in you is my worth. That God in you is my worth. In you is who I am. I want to be a follower of you. I want to praise you. I want to live for you. And when we have a humble posture before King Jesus, because of King Jesus, who allows us to have a relationship with God the Father, then what we are declaring right now is that, God, my worth is in you, and I want to submit myself to you. I want to humble myself to you. I want to draw near to you. And that's what we learn. And when we do that, when we do that, what should be seen is the humility by which we speak. James is concerned that some of them are in an ongoing way not using their speech for the glory of God. And I think it's applicable to us. I think it's important for us to take a look at these two verses and really just go ahead and break them apart. I'm going to go ahead and read James 4, 11 through 12 now. And then we'll take a look at worldly speech and godly speech 
and uh, how we, what we can learn from it. So let's go ahead and take a look at verse uh, 11 of chapter 4. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. Rhetorical question. But who are you to judge your neighbors? Okay? So, so here's, here's what we have right now. We've got a, got a situation. We've got a picture that, that what James is trying to get us to understand in, in regards to our speech. Now, here's some things about worldly speech. Number one, worldly speech discourages one another. Worldly speech discourages one another. Look at what it says in verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another. Here's what he's addressing, the way that he's saying it, and the really the, the formation in the original language is basically declaring that this is something that they were habitually doing. It was an ongoing thing where they were using their words to speak evil, to slander, to gossip, and to judge. James is seeing that, and James is addressing that. James is seeing it, and James is addressing it. So it's an ongoing pattern in their lives. So, so worldly speech is going to discourage. I don't know about you, but who wants to sit around someone who is constantly negative, constantly tearing someone down, and constantly cynical over and over and over again? That, that's really not a fun place to be. That's not a fun person to be when you are bound by that. And so what I want us to do right now to really understand what James is really doing, I want you to pause the video and answer the two questions I'm getting ready to give you. Okay, first and foremost, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to look up Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. I'm also going to ask you to look up Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. I want you to answer these two questions. Here they are. Number one, what does God hate? specifically in relationship to my speech. What does God hate specifically in relationship to our speech? Number two, what does Jesus tell us to do regarding judging others? What does Jesus do? What does Jesus tell us to do in regarding uh, ju the judgment of others? So read those two passages right now. Answer these two questions. Talk about them among your group and then jump back on. I hope this will be helpful for you as we continue to go. So go ahead, stop the video and answer those questions right now. Listen, I hope that was helpful for you. I hope that you were able to see that all those things in Proverbs 6, um, 16 through 19 are things that God does not like. It says that he hates them. Specifically, he's talking about, I don't like a lying tongue. I don't like a false witness who breathes out lies. That's critical, that's negative. That's judging. That's not what a believer is to be about. Why? It, it discourages one another. That's what worldly speech does. In Matthew chapter 7, 1 through 5, it says, Judge not that you should be judged. He basically is telling us right clear. You read it. Hey, before you go and point out other people's sin, maybe you should look in the mirror and pull out the plank in your own eye. Yeah. It's hard, right? It's real easy to see other people and what they're doing that's wrong. It's difficult to admit. And then sometimes when, when people come to us and bring those things up to us, 
We have a tendency, if we're not humble, not submitting ourselves to the Lord, we have, a, we have a tendency to defend what we're doing rather than repent and submit and humble and draw near. And, and so um, Proverbs is telling us that bearing false witness and lying and stirring up strife among the body is not what we should be about. It discourages one another. It does not build one another up. And Matthew is telling us very clearly, hey, hey, you know, it's important for us to address sin. It's important for us to do that. But what I want to make sure you do is that you take an honest look at your own life before you start casting stones and, and, and revealing things in other people's lives. So take out the plank that's in your own eye. If you've been in church, you've heard that statement a long time. Second thing that worldly speech does is it does not honor God. It discourages one another, number one, and it does not honor God. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, we have the, the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, 16, it basically says, you shall not bear false witness against another. All right? So it's do not bear false witness. All right. In, in Matthew chapter 7, 37 through 40, we have what's called the Great Commandment. And, and I'm going to read it to you right now. Jesus was summarizing the Ten Commandments. And then we'll get to verse 12 and we'll, we'll really unpack this. What does it say in Matthew uh, chapter 22, 37 through 40? It says, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Of these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And so here is Jesus. He's not eradicating the Ten Commandments or what we would classify as the law. He's not eradicating that. He came to fulfill it. He summarized it. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to love God and I want you to love others. But here's what takes place. When we enter into a judgmental relationship where we are gossiping and we are slandering and we are talking critical of other people, okay, when we're doing that, what we are saying is, God, your law is not important to me. Not only that, you are not important to me. Because what happens is, we're doing things that he says for us not to do. God says, I want you to love me and love others. But here's what's going on. They're slandering, they're gossiping, and they're doing all these negative things. So That's not demonstrating love. And so when we read the verse with that in mind, he's saying the one who speaks against a brother or judges a brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. He is saying the law does not apply to me. When you're in that type of relationship or when you're participating in that type of thing, when you are using worldly speech and slander and gossip and all of the above, then what you're doing is you're saying, God, I am above you. I am above the law. God says to love. We are spouting all kinds of hatred and evil and gossip and slander. And it's not of him. And that's not what he wants us to be about. So what does worldly speech do? Worldly speech, it discourages one another. It discourages one another. And it, it doesn't honor God. It doesn't honor God. Um, here's, here's a second. We have godly speech. What does godly speech do? Well, it doesn't specifically in the text tell us what godly speech does, but we can really logically, and I even think theologically, just take it. If worldly speech discourages one another, well, then what does godly speech do? It encourages one another. It, it encourages, okay? 
It is a beautiful place to sit there and be able to speak truth into someone's life and to lift them up and to encourage them. And that's what God wants us to do. When we draw near, when we submit, when we humble ourselves, then what happens, we're in a posture where we're not looking out for ourselves, but we're looking out for the interest of others as what has been stated so much over the last couple of weeks in our study on James. And so godly speech encourages one another. And I said before, it's exhausting to be in a place where there's just negativity and negativity and negativity. But it's a beautiful place to allow the king of the universe, God, to speak through you life to someone else. Let me tell you what happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I just hit the stand there. Let me tell you what happened to me a couple of weeks ago. I think this was last week. I got a, I got a text message from my daughter who was in the house. And she just texted me, hey, dad, I love you so much. Heart, heart, emoji, all that gushy stuff. And then she said, no reason, just wanted to tell you this. I just want to tell you right now that it encouraged my soul. It was, it, I, 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 I took a screenshot and sent it to my brother and my sister. I took a screenshot and sent it to my wife who was working that night. And it was just so encouraging. And I, I need to let you know something. I mean, I, I really do. Um, she is my favorite daughter. She's my favorite daughter. <laughs> so what happens? Godly speech, what does it do? It encourages one another. And, and uh, number two, what does godly speech do? It exalts God. Godly speech exalts God. Listen, what does worldly speech do? Worldly speech does not honor God, but godly speech, what does it do? It exalts King Jesus. It exalts him. It, that's what we're here to do. It, it's, it's living in the sphere. It's living in this fight. It's living in this desire to say, God, I love you and I thank you for who you are and the love that you have given to me, I want to give it to other people. So we're going to love God and we're going to love others. And that's what, what godly speech um, does. It's different than worldly speech. It, it, it is the center of our our talk, the center of our words, the center of the way we say it, the tone by which we say it, is it's it's a place where the King Jesus is honored and exalted, the place that he should be. Now, you're probably asking the question, well, how do I apply what we've been learning here? How do I, how do I apply some of this stuff? Where is the place right now where this can be lived out? We've got worldly speech. It discourages one another and it does, not, uh, it does not honor the Lord. And we've got godly speech where it encourages one another and it exalts God. So where is this lived out? I've got two places for us. And I want to challenge you to do everything you can, one day at a time, in these two areas. To live out verses 11 and 12 with what James is trying to get us to learn. You see, what we don't want to do is to be Christian atheists. What do I mean by that? It's, I believe that God exists, but I live as if he doesn't. Let me say it again. I, I believe that God exists, but I live as if he doesn't. 
And that is not what James wants for you and not what James wants for me. And so what I want us to do is I just want us to take what we've learned here to allow our speech to encourage one another and exalt God. And there's two places I want to challenge you to really strive over the next week to really put this into practice. And number one, that's the home. Listen, I don't know of a, of a, of a more difficult place right now when it comes to using our words to build up rather than tear down. And every single one of us right now, we're frustrated. We're tired. You know, I got seven people living in my house. You know what that means? I've got seven sinners, plain and simple, and two dogs. I, you know, not going to get into the theological discussion of whether the dogs are sinners or not. But I can tell you this right now. There's seven of us living in the house. And listen, it's hard. You want to build up, and sometimes you happen to tear down. And and what we want to do right now is we want to recognize that the sovereign hand of God has placed us in this laboratory for this message. For us to use our speech to, to exalt God and to encourage each other and to speak truth to each other. And I want, I want all of us to really work extremely, extremely hard on using words this week to build up. Because listen, a lot of us, we're done. It's hard. Want to go back to seeing people. Want to be able to get out of the house. Want to be around other people other than our family right now. But at this point right now, here it is. I want to encourage us. I want to encourage us to sit in the home and to work this week And what does it mean and how can you exalt God with your speech and encourage one another? And I want to encourage you to do that. I also want you to be directed to verse 6 of chapter 4. Because some of us right now, all of us, have been in a place where like, oh my gosh, I lost it today. Oh my gosh, my words, my tone, they were not right. And I want you to go back to verse 6 right now. I want to encourage you with verse 6 of chapter 4. It says here, but he gives more grace. Be captivated by that right now. He gives more grace, but he gives more grace. And and so what do I want you to do? I want you to submit. I want you to draw near. I want you to humble yourself. And I want you to recognize that he gives more grace. I'm not looking at what was said yesterday, last week, or even this morning before you got ready for church or came to church. What I'm asking is right here, right now, let's all collectively do what we can to use this time to be able to speak life into our family members. And let's do that for the glory of God. I'd even encourage you, if someone is brought to your mind, send them a text message, write them a letter and let them know that you're thinking about them and you're praying for them. Use your words to build up um, for the sake of the gospel because that exalts God. And in the second place, I think there's two places, as I said, that I want to see us apply this. The second place is during this the political season. Oh yes. Oh yes. I think it's absolutely incredible for us right now as believers to make sure that we do not get ugly, um, slanderous, that we gossip, that we become evil with our words during this political season. There's issues. There are issues that are really important to you, and there's really issues that are important to other people. 
I think what James is, is, is encouraging us to do and some principles that we can apply in this season is that we would be um, uh, slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. I, I think right now this political season is causing us or can cause us, it can cause us to be incredibly judgmental, incredibly harsh. And I need to remind you that that does not encourage and that does not honor God. Listen, one election, I'm going to read you a quote right now. And here's what it says. No matter how often you hear commentators declare 2020 the most important election of our lifetime. Don't buy into the perspective that the stakes of any one election are greater than the stakes of a compromised witness that besmirches the name of Jesus. And I would say yes and and amen to that. Listen, let us live for God. Yes, we have a responsibility with us being here on the earth to be good stewards of what God has led us to be a part of. We also need to keep in mind where our true home is. And our home is in heaven, a place that he has prepared because of and by the cross of Jesus. And let us not forget that. I would say this right now. Let us remember that God does give more grace. In Northwest Community Church, let Jesus be our fulfillment to do all that he promised that we could do and be about. Let us not have speech that discourages or dishonors God. Let us have speech that encourages one another and exalts God because he deserves it. He deserves all of it. I love you. I'm praying for you. And I can't wait to see you again soon. Hope you have a great week. Bless you.